G'day everyone and welcome to another edition of Crowcast Weekend Wrap. Uh, a fantastic weekend of football with my two favourite teams just failing to fall over the line by a combination of, what, 150 points. <laughs> oh, couldn't have been a better weekend and let's, uh, let's cry about it for a while, shall we? Crows fans and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast of course. Very sad for uh, a small percentage of the uh, South Australian population uh, but for the rest of us, uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, to join me in the gloating fest I'm joined by Macca. How you go Mac? No, same as you mate, in a very good mindset after <laughs> a very good weekend. And Nikki, how are you going, Nick? I'm going very well. I I got snowed on today. You got there was actual snow at Mount Lofty today. It lasted for about ten seconds, but there was actual snow. So let me just get this right straight off the bat. Last weekend, you came on and you said you got your first jab, (laughs) (laughs) and this weekend you got snowed on. You can't get a better footy review than that, mate. <laughs> that's that's it. I'm done. I've got nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> we all know where your minds are. Oh my godfather! What the hell, Nikki? You can't do that to me. So. <laughs> uh, that's probably what you said. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, Macca, was your weekend as eventful as that? Oh, nothing to match that one. No, uh, no, no, no. I, actually, Mrs. Macca's not too well, so uh, I've actually had to play housewife, and Jesus, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't feel sorry for Geelong or Port, and uh, it was fantastic to watch the cats get absolutely mauled by the demons on Friday night, but that paled into insignificance with the absolute choke, the absolute choke that was on display at the Adelaide Oval in front of the passionate uh, passionate Port Power supporters, an absolute disgrace to that football club. And, uh, wow, how are they going to bounce back from that? And I-, I hope that Jordan Dawson was watching that game and thinking, yeah, maybe the Crows are a better deal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in all logic, I, I think we're more likely to win a flag sooner than Port Adelaide because I just, this this crew is never going to win it. As you said, it was a, the ultimate choke. Um, they, they had everything going their way running up to this particular match. The Bulldogs not had, had a better run. Yep, and the Bulldogs had everything wrong going up to this run. And yet yep. they absolutely blistered and made them look like a bundle of shit, and they were. They, they were hopeless. 
And we'll go through some specific players afterwards. But when you've got certain players in your side like they have, they will never, ever win a flag because they'll let you down every time when it's crunch time. And uh, also, when they keep this coach, Kenny, I really, really like him as a man. I think he's a great bloke, but he will never, ever win a flag. Never. Yeah, and that was going to be my point more once you started talking about the players. For me, the ultimate buck stops with Ken, and we've seen it before. He does not cope well in the final. It really comes that pressure, and he has to step outside of his own game plan. He just can't do it. And you contrast that with Beveridge and what he did coaching-wise to get his players to play that team game, which is a little bit different from how they normally play, completely took out Aaliyah Aaliyah and Port just had no idea how to no longer get that um, run from half-back, which allows them to get that ball nice and quick actually into their forward line. They just couldn't get get into gear at all. One one plan... One plan, Kenny. That's all yeah. he's got. And, that, and and that's why I was absolutely so happy when they re-signed him again because whilst he can get them doing well during the season, we've seen him fall to pieces when he ha- comes up against decent, hardened finals coaches. Well, let's just calm the farm. I know, I know that we want to... Get stuck in, but let's just stick to format. <laughs> you two. Look, Nikki and I are sticklers for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right on it. All right. Look, thanks to everyone who's joined us on Discord and also on YouTube, and maybe one or two on Twitch as well. Don't forget if you want to have your say and have a bit of a laugh uh, tonight, because uh, it is it is the season to be. Jolly, <laughs> um, stick your hand up and we'll get you on the chat. Um, and uh, don't forget, if you want to support us, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash AFL Crowcast. All support appreciated. Now, you two, let's just keep it nice and straight and we'll talk about the uh, Melbourne Cats game first, shall we? Let's do that then, please. All right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, right, so it was uh, Melbourne 1911-125 by 83 points, if you don't mind, over the very old, very slow Geelong Cats, 6642. Um, it really was an absolute pantsing by Melbourne. It was, Fane, and I think you uh, started pretty well by the throwing in the age factor as well, because... They had, I'm not really sure how many it was, something like about 11 or 12 players on the wrong side of 30. They keep bringing them in, uh, players from other clubs. Yeah. Uh, they keep playing the same stupid game plan, yep. which is never going to win a premiership. It just isn't. It's because when you win a flag, you do that by getting down and getting dirty. Um, and that's what the, why the Bulldogs have been so successful in the finals. Um they were travelling very ordinary. Remember that? I think it was against Essendon when it turned wet. And all of a sudden they got it enabled them to play their game plan, which is really going, just getting down and getting dirty and getting the ball out with good handball, etc. And um, um, whereas the Geelong's game plan, this idea of keeping it off and just kicking backwards and forwards till you find an opening, 
that doesn't happen a lot in, in uh, finals. It just doesn't no. happen a lot. And no. yet they, uh, Chris Scott, he, he's, he's another uh, Kenny, really. He just keeps presenting the same game plan that failed last time. And he, then he thinks, well, I'll go out and recruit another one or two from another club and we'll get there. But you won't because the game plan is shit. It just isn't going to win a flag. Well, it's shit when your midfield can't generate enough ball. And the problem that uh, Geelong had was they just couldn't get first use. They were absolutely uh, pants around contested ball. Um, they couldn't get any drive off half back. And uh, their scoring options dried up. And Gary Rowan uh, had his usual uh, disappearing trick. And uh, and they had no answer for Max Gorn. Um, you know, Melbourne had that flexibility of two quality rucks, and whoever says that ruckmen aren't uh, valuable, well, good ruckmen are very, very valuable. And Melbourne showed that by the fact that they could have uh, that young lad uh, rucking and they could switch Gorn uh, forward and back when he wasn't rucking. He did well defensively, but, by God, for a ruckman to kick six goals in a preliminary final, don't tell me that ruckman, good ruckmen aren't uh, valuable. Yeah. That was insane. And it w- it was just kind of interesting because normally what we've seen is we get one blowout for a um, prelim final, but the fact that we got two and yeah. you absolutely saw the way, you're spot on, the, the coaching was so much better. And for Geelong, it was purely and simply that they rely on that game plan for Cardinia Park and they were put on the wrong oval where they really get found out. They well, can't I think, spread. I think we were talking last week. It might, uh, not sure, it might have been on Tuesday night, actually, and Pete and I were talking about who had uh, advantages, etc., with the venue. And one of the things I think Pete and I agreed on was the fact that Geelong um, were disadvantaged, or Melbourne were advantaged by the fact that Optus Stadium is very similar in configuration to the MCG. They didn't have to change their style much yep. at all. Uh, whereas um, Geelong, of course, used to playing on that bloody runway of a of a of an oval and they get done by width all the time they get spread apart too much and as they've gotten older they're not not as able to uh to cover uh, ground defensively sufficiently and there's so many gaps opening up for melbourne and they just took every opportunity they had some really good contributors but it was really a team effort by melbourne and a very insipid effort by geelong they'd be bitterly disappointed by that at geelong yeah, just on that oval thing, uh, my understanding is that Optus Oval has uh, got identical dimensions to the MCG. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so you, that uh, factor that Nicky raised is a relevant factor, but it still doesn't excuse the insipid performance. Um, there were too many players for Geelong that just don't get hardballed. I mean, for example, I, much as I don't like Dangerfield, I, I, at least he does try although he pretends to die every so often when he gets hit. Um, you know, Selwood, he's as tough as, and they've probably got a couple of others, but, you know, you mentioned Gary Ryan. One bloody position for the game. And Some, someone put he's up a, a barometer, stat. isn't he? Someone put up a stat. In the six finals that Rowan's played that Geelong have lost, he's gathered a total of 26 possessions. A total. He's a barometer for their losses, isn't he? Um, unbelievable. And I don't, it's unbelievable they keep picketing. Um, and I know that they it, it might work fine in uh, home and away games to have three pronged attack, but uh, no, he he just doesn't do any damage. And 
it was interesting. I looked at the uh, uh, positions that Petrarca, Oliver, and Viney had between them. Massive, massive. And uh, then you throw in Gorn, who's a, allegedly there as a ruckman, and he's kicked uh, was it five or six goals, and he's had 19 possessions and 33 hitouts. And then young Jackson relieves him, and young Jackson, uh, everybody thought, well, everybody was surprised when he was taken as early as he was, same as they were with Pickett. With Pickett. They're a pretty shrewd club because they've got two very good play, young players there, and uh, and they've recruited very well. Uh, May and uh, the, the, what was the the rebel that left us, bloody Lever. Lever, yeah. Well, they look, they have they don't really have many weaknesses. If you're ever going to get them, it's going to be up forward. But that's why they use young Max. Uh, well, I say young Max. Yeah, they use Max up there a lot now, and. Uh, uh, also, Jackson's pretty handy around there, and Pickett's well, pretty handy around there. Well, you, they you don't made, have a star forward on, but it's good. You overall. made a you made an omission because I think one of the underrated picks, and I said this at the beginning of the year, I couldn't understand why North Melbourne got rid of Brown. Um, oh well, yeah, good point again, thank And uh, you know he's come good at the right time of the year for them. He he kicks straight, he can take a mark, and he's good on the lead. And uh, yes, he's not. He hasn't got the star power of uh, some of the other uh, forwards um, in the competition, but he was a good pickup for them. He provides them with the target, and uh, it allows the small players to get around him. And uh, he, he did very well, played very well, particularly early when uh, the game was there to be won. Yeah, they've got a very good structure overall. And yeah, it doesn't, doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt when you've got a couple of balls in the midfield either. Let's go through some uh, team stats, shall we? Uh, disposals, 374 to 341 in Melbourne's favour. Uh, very much more kicking uh, than handball. <clears throat> Geelong forced to handball a bit because they just couldn't really break through um, Melbourne's um, uh, frontal pressure, really. Uh, disposal efficiency was quite similar. Uh, but have a look at this. Um, Geelong only had 11 shots for goal from 42 inside 50s. That's insane. Um, Melbourne, 31 shots from 55 inside 50s. So they did get the ball inside 50 more. But by the same token, Geelong just had no firepower up forward when they did get the ball in. And their forward 50 entries were pretty random and pretty messy, really. <coughs> yeah, me. I was going to make that point. They rather pro-like when we, when we often criticise those shallow entries that yeah. don't quite make it to the 50 or around the 50 metre mark and uh, they've got a very good structure down back uh, they have Melbourne uh, mm. May is often 40-50 metres back on his own and when it was interesting that when he went off leave it went back to that same position so uh, it's a structure and it works very very well for them and uh, uh, on top of that as I said Geelong, most of Geelong's entries were pretty shallow and uh, it gave, gave them every opportunity. Sometimes when they actually punched the ball from the, the pack, it ended up at, right in the centre of the ground. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can be fooled by those number of entries thing. Yes, definitely. Um, hitouts, 46 to 43 in Melbourne's favour. Clearances, Geelong's way, 41 to 45. But again, more about quality than quantity in that respect, um, particularly centre clearances where Geelong... 16 to 11, but I reckon all of Melbourne's 11 centre clearances just about ended up in a score. <laughs> uh, round stoppage yep. was pretty pretty uh, similar, 30 to 29. Uh, but here's where the game was won. Uh, contested possessions, uh, Geelong 130, Melbourne 160. 
Um, Melbourne were just harder at it. They were able to win so much 50-50 ground ball and um, they used it far better, 252 turnovers to 68 in Melbourne's favour. Uh, Marks, again, 88 to 57. Aerial dominance there. Marks inside 50. Look at that stat, 16 to 5 in Melbourne's favour. Contested marks 13 to 8. Intercept 68 to 52. So uh, Geelong kept putting it up in the air and Melbourne kept marking it. Yep, and the ones they didn't mark, they just punched away. So, yeah. but, but then, you know, um, when will Geelong face the fact that this group is not going to win a flag? Do they just keep a. I, I wouldn't mind betting they'll just try and recruit another couple this year and have another go. But, well, you know, they I won't heard, win one. I heard Selwood talking about the fact that they should go again. Uh, it's just ridiculous. 11 players over 30, if you don't mind. Uh, easily the oldest team ever to make. Uh, a preliminary final in AFL history and it it was plain as the nose on your face that those blokes when when they're, they're right in the regular season but you ratcheted up a few gears in finals and they didn't have another gear Selwood looks like he's just about gone and should retire um, and uh, Dangerfield Dangerfield looks heavy to me he looks hampered he doesn't look as free yeah. Um, and I just wonder whether the hits are starting to catch up with Patrick Dangerfield a bit. Um, uh, but it's uh, second-tier players that fell right away, you know, um, blokes like Guthrie and that, That and we didn't see Menangola, uh, we didn't see Radigalia, we didn't see uh, much of Zach Tui, really. Um, most, of, most of their second-string workhorses just were nowhere to be found, and uh, they, they had nothing in the end. Well, they got what they deserved, in my opinion. Um, they've got they stuck with this coach, they stuck with this game plan. As I said, they just keep uh, just tweaking the uh, people inside it by pinching club uh, players from other clubs. But at the end of the day, uh, they're not going. They're not going to win a flag. Not with this coach. I'll make the same comment about him as I do about Kenny. Uh, but opposite to Kenny, I don't re- regard Chris Scott as a, a nice guy. I do regard Kenny as a nice guy. So he, and the a, thing is, sorry, go Nick. I was going to say the thing is with Scott as well is that he finds every single excuse in the book for why they didn't perform well. Oh yeah, and he 100%. cannot, and he cannot actually look at as we've just explained. He has exceedingly selfish players in Selwood, etc. That. In order, if they were properly playing a team game and they knew and they could actually look and see what was going on, that the fact that they are the ones holding that team back with their excess salaries and the fact that the game has gone past them, they are the ones who should be stepping aside for the team, but they can't do that. No. No, uh, uh, here's an interesting scenario for you because uh, how long's Hinkley got left in his contract? Two years. Two years. How long's Chris Scott got left in his contract? Yeah, I think he's got two as well. Yeah. Um, so I reckon uh, Hinkley, being a Geelong boy, uh, I reckon Chris Scott goes to Carlton to coach. Kenny Hinkley goes to Geelong to coach, and Rossi Lyon goes and co- coaches Port. Three losing teams there. 
Well, uh, I wouldn't mind betting that there's a bit of movement on Chris Scott. You reckon? Yep. Then there needs to be. Oh, there I should wouldn't. be. But but they don't seem to be interested in moving him on. Yeah. How long has it been now? Ten years? Uh, yes. Uh, 11 years ago, I think they won the flag. I think yeah, won, won a flag with Bombers uh, game plan and uh, haven't done anything since. Oh, that's wrong. They have done stuff since, but they haven't been able to crack another flag. And uh, I wouldn't mind betting there's a bit of movement. Uh, same with Hinckley. I You would think that the writing is on the wall now for Ken Hinckley, and I know Port aren't really in a position to move on a coach and pay out a two two years of a contract, but there would be some boardroom rumblings, I reckon, about Kenny Hinckley after that effort. I mean, you guys are right, and Pete said it as well on on Tuesday night show. There's not one team that has had a bigger red carpet ride through the finals than Port Adelaide, and we'll get to them in a sec. And uh, for all their advantages, that they didn't just lose Mac, they didn't just lose; they got flogged. Uh, and I, I, re- I reckon there'll be some movement there. Anyway, let's uh, stick to this game. Let's look, some, look at some players. And uh, Jack Viney was an excellent game, I thought, and a real bonus for yep. Melbourne, a real bonus for Melbourne that Viney is up and about at this time of the year because uh, he's kind of gone a bit more under the radar with Petrarca and um, Oliver, Oliver, Oliver um, you know, really taking the reins there. But... He is so important for them. 16 contested possessions, um, you know, 34 disposals, 17 kicks, 17 handballs. Um, really, uh, in my opinion, was uh, the dri- one of the drivers of that victory. Um, Petrarca was excellent, uh, hit the scoreboard as well, 32 touches um, with 14 contested possessions. Um, Oliver, by his standards, I felt was a little bit quiet. Uh, still had 27 yeah. touches. Uh, 15 contested possessions, but it was really, in my opinion, it was Viney and uh, Petrarca that really drove um, that midfield engine this week. Um, Salem was also very good with 29 touches, uh, 23 kicks, uh, uh, 6 handballs, and 19 uncontested possessions, so he really got it on the outside for them, and he was really playing that link role through transition uh, for them quite well. Um, yeah, he's got Got a beautiful left foot on him too. Yes, very much so. Uh, the only midfielder to figure in the top half a dozen uh, stats winners for Geelong was uh, P Dangerfield. Had 30 touches, 19 and 11. Didn't seem to be particularly damaging though. Only went at 57% disposal efficiency, which has always been Patrick's problem. Um, and he, but he, you know, to his credit, he battled on, and I felt like he was playing a bit of a lone hand. Um, Isaac Smith had a lot of nothing possessions Guthrie was ineffective Selwood with 24 touches was ineffective Mitch Duncan with 23 was ineffective Um, so a a lot of their players the possessions they did get weren't damaging they didn't uh, they weren't able to make themselves difficult to play against at all Uh, they were very reactive uh, Max Gorn with 19 touches as you mentioned Macker and uh, just (laughs) Just a lazy five goals. Um, so, you know, um, some really good performances and some really good um, cameos. Harms, Neil Bull and those sort of blokes just chipped in when they needed to. Mm, good point. 
um, and and played good minutes when they needed to. Um, and you didn't get a lot of that. Sean Higgins, surely that's the end for Sean Higgins, uh, I would have thought. Um, you've got to you've got to start asking questions about um, you know blokes like um, Lockie Henderson, um, Gary Rowan, as we mentioned before. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot about that list. They're really in, in the same position that the Crows were a couple of years ago. And whilst they've been more successful in terms of progress through the uh, through the season and through the finals, they've come up with the same amount of premierships over that time that we have. Big fat zero. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, and that's what it comes down to. It's one and the rest. So... Um, they need. To, they're, they're going to have to go through it. If they're serious, they're going to have to go through the same transition to a new group as what we're currently doing. Well, do you think they will, though, Fane? Oh, well, I mean, who knows? Um, interestingly, now that uh, they've had a bit of a change in the guard, they've got Stephen Hocken going back there and they've got a new CEO. Um, there might be some new voices and new opinions there. Um so that might instigate a bit of change, Macca, um, down there. Uh, but I, I, to me, it's always... I've. It seems to me that it's been a bit of a player-driven club over the last four or five years. Um, and I reckon those it'll be a measure of the club to see whether they can make some hard decisions, um, as we've had to do, and uh, move some of those senior players on. Excellent point you made there. You do get the impression that it's a player-driven club, that... Yep. They virtually do their thing. Um, they know their game plan that the, that the coach wants them to play, and then they just do their own thing out there with very little consultation. That's what it appears like, and that they put themselves almost above the, the team at times, I think, anyhow. And, uh, yeah, I just well, think that uh, they probably need a good shake-up, and the change in management might do that, but... Um, They've always been pretty satisfied with what they've achieved, even though they haven't won anything in the, in all that period. Very of time. arrogant. Very arrogant, Mac. You're right. Yeah, we we you know we we're we're very very critical of our team, and uh, you know if we if we were in their position, but we'd be really bagging them by now. But they seem to be happy that that Geelong are doing very very well. They're up there all the time. But but as you said quite rightly, there's only one position which really counts at the end of the season, and that's position one. That's right. After that, after that, you, you might as well be number 18 and get the first draft pick because uh, there's no glory in any of the other positions at all. Nope. Correct. Okay, absolutely correct. Um, look, I, I'd like someone to point out to me what it is that um, Chris Scott has added to that team or that club that you could truly call trademark Chris Scott. There's no game plan that I can see that you could say, oh, yeah, that's Chris Scott's game plan. He's just been running the same playbook that they've always been running. They've played the same way that they've always played. They keep topping up to try and go again and all the rest of it. But what has Chris Scott actually added to that group? Can anyone tell me? Well, there's two comments in the chat that are very good. One says Scott has added his ego. The other one says Jenkins. <laughs> so, uh, they're pretty sharp out there in the chat. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, though, if you actually look at uh, what he's done with adding 
more of those older players that were at other clubs, etc. That's actually not his own thing. That's something Clarkson did at Hawthorne. But what Clarkson did was he didn't take um, those players who were actually quite highly paid. So Rowan was and um, Cameron, etc. You know, a lot of the players that he's targeted were ones that were already kind of considered upper echelon of their own clubs. Whereas what Clarkson did was to take players that were slightly on the outer, et cetera, whatever, but he could see the potential and he knew how to bring that out. And that's the problem with Chris Scott. You're, you're spot on, Fane, is that there is no uh, Chris Scott DNA. No, exactly right, Nick. Because he can't coach. Good, 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 uh, good terminology there. There's no Chris Scott DNA. 100% right. Um, you know, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Geelong over the next 12 months because, you know, for whatever reason, they're also a town that heavily invests in their football club. You know, there's a bit of a socioeconomic depression in the Geelong area, which is unfortunate. Um, and so they do get a lot of their, um, you know, a lot of their vibe and all the rest of it from the success of the Geelong Footy Club. And, and you know, that's fantastic. But a football club can't just continue to try and, you know, be there or thereabouts and just carry so many ageing stars. And those players have given that club fantastic service over the years, but it's, the time's come. And if they don't have the, the, the nuts to pull the trigger... Uh, they'll they'll be also rants because there's, they won't be able to they won't be able to recover from that. That was a comprehensive flogging by a team that is on the on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of uh, you know the trajectory of of their side. It, it, look, it takes courage to say um, we you know we got pretty close but not close enough, and then in the end we got flogged. And it does take courage to make that decision to pull your team apart and get rid of the old-timers and start building in uh, new players and building a new team with a new game plan, etc., and probably a new coach. But it takes a lot of balls for a club to make that decision. And this Geelong hasn't done it. And I think one of the reasons you uh, quoted there, Fane, is the fact that it it's interlinked with the Geelong town. And, um, mm, a little bit. And while they bit, keep winning down, yeah, and winning, winning on their little uh, garbage uh, dump down there, which they call their own. No, no, let's not be derogatory. They're uh, hurting down there. Open. They're hurting, hurting down there at the moment. Yeah, I heard them more. Um, <laughs> but then have, you know, while they win, while they win plenty of games down there, it, it makes the locals happy. It does, and yeah. uh, and I think they've been sort of happy with doing that too. And now. For, to strip it bare and start again, that's not going to. Then they start losing down there. That's not going to make the locals happy. So it will because it, they're in a peculiar position because of that. The locality is very important, and I think it's going to take a lot of balls to do it. But they do have to do it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I, I think I, just on that point, I think a couple of years ago there were there was a lot more intertwining, but some of those people um, have since left the club. I think they still have some influence, but not as much. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's definitely some overlap still going on about that. You you are right, Macca, that it's um, very, le- I mean, very linked with the town and they must be successful. And that's their problem. 
But uh, that's why I think that Hocking and um, I forget the name of the new CEO uh, are going to be the impetus for a little bit of change. Um, you know, we've got Brian Cook um, leaving, probably going to take over at Carlton, I'd imagine, um, which is why I reckon Chris Scott might end up at Carlton. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll see. But anyway, who gives a shit? As J Mac rightly points out in the chat, does anyone care? No. But I think we've no. given them enough time. Let's move on to the main event this evening. Um, <laughs> the com- comedy hour. Let, let me just clear my throat while I read this score. Western Bulldogs, uh, 17 goals, 14-1-1-6. Defeated the Port Adelaide Power, 6 goals, 9-45. A margin, a flattering margin in the end of Port um, of 71 points. Go dogs! <laughs> <laughs> it it was kind of funny rewatching the game today or watching it for the first time because I knew the score, I knew the result, and I and I was told you know they were never in the game, etc. There were there were passages though there that they were, but it was purely and simply a lot of that pressure that got to them. They couldn't get that drive and run off the half back line with any fluency. And there were some really basic skill errors, skill errors that were going on, like absolute monties of uh, like missing targets and and things like that. Um, that that I think kind of came into it. So I do wonder a little bit whether they'll think themselves just like a little bit better when they look back at the tape. But seriously, overall, you're right. It was like it was on Friday night, it was a comprehensive smashing. There needs to be some really serious questions asked, particularly of players and of the coaching staff. Um, is is Vossi once again concentrating on other things um, when he should be concentrating on finals? Um, but it was also quite delightful for most of us. Nikki, Nikki Port Adelaide shat themselves. They shat themselves oh, yeah. as soon as soon as the Bulldogs. Uh, it was evident that the Bulldogs were up and about. Port didn't know they their game plan fell completely apart. If you have a look at that game again, you'll see how many times there were multiple Bulldogs players um, in aerial contests. They completely blanketed Alir. They made sure that there was always a couple going up against Alir uh, uh, as the ball was coming in, and at ground level. Oh, the amount yeah. of time, the amount of times that the Bulldogs outnumbered beautiful. Port two or three to one, was absolutely unbelievable. Port were nowhere; they mm. were making silly mistakes. They weren't running to position. They were overrunning balls. They were hesitant. They and all things that were signs of a play of a playing group that had spent all their energy in nervous energy pre-game. There was they couldn't handle the hype. They couldn't handle the expectation. They couldn't handle the occasion. And they got absolutely flogged by a team that I still maintain has tapered over the last two or three weeks of the of the regular season. I wouldn't mind betting yeah. that they uh, did a bit of a Neil Craig uh, train hard for a month before the finals because they were running on top of the ground. They looked fit. They looked firing. They looked hard. And uh, they've got some weapons, the Western Bulldogs. That's just a very good point you raised there again, Fee. You're you're on fire tonight. Um, that point about the fact that they 
lost their last three minor round games. And mm. that used to be a trademark of Neil Craig, that he would actually, in that those last few minor round games, just train his players into the ground so that they really had uh, the stamina to keep going and going for a... For, it won, us our first, it won us our first flag, Macca. That, yep. that won us our first flag. I've had it straight from the Blighty horse's mouth. That, yeah. No, Blighty, it wasn't Blighty. It was Neil Craig. Neil Craig was our fitness yep. coach. He was. It was Neil Craig yeah. that did it. He came from the from the Sports Institute, remember, when he was running the cycling program there with Charlie Welch? Yes. yes. And um, I've heard it straight from Darren Jarman's mouth that, it, Neil Craig was one of the biggest reasons why we won in 97 because he tra- he flogged them, flogged them for the last month of the season. Well, the interesting thing in the Port case is that uh, not only did Kenny... Uh, I just think, as you said, they built up their expectations, but not, not so much the fact that the media did, they did. Uh, you know, Koshy kept uh, whacking away on a national basis and... Uh, yeah. Kenny kept whacking away how good they were and we, you know, we've got enough to win a flag and all this sort of crap. Look, win the games at first and then tell us about it after the game. Not, not, you know, and uh, as you said, they, they, in their own minds, they had won this bloody game before they started. And once they ran onto the ground, they were up against a team who are a hard at it team. And it was an interesting thing, in, I think it was the first quarter that uh, I heard this, that the ground ball gets were 34 to 13 in the yep. first quarter. It was horrific. Uh, the the differentials and, in clearances and contested possession and all the rest of it would have horrified Port Adelaide. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is uh, Phil Walsh, you know, who I think could have been our best coach ever uh, if things had been uh, not the way they were. Uh, that was his big thing. It was about ground ball gets that you yep. win the you win games through ground ball gets and uh, thirty four to thirteen in the first quarter is probably a fair reflection of how that first quarter went. So I think Phil Walsh was rolling the money with that particular point. So, um, and, you know, the midfield of uh, the Bulldogs, they are very good at ground level at flicking the ball out and uh, get, firstly getting there. I thought McRae was outstanding in it with his game and yep. uh, and he's been an outstanding rock through the finals so far. The Bont did a, a reasonable contribution and a young Smith, he, uh, he gave a lot of the running power. Their midfield are just embarrassed Port Adelaide. Uh, you, you, forgot one. you forgot one, Mac, because I reckon Tom Libertori is very underrated in that midfield. Oh, yeah, I, that's an omission. I should have, yeah. yeah, I should have mentioned probably him first because he gets them out the centre first. Like yeah. that, that very first, Macca, that very first centre clearance was him through and through, which got their tails up of how easily they were able to get it out and keep it down the forward line get that first goal, you know, straight away. And as somebody else pointed out, um, one of the Bulldogs players on the radio today actually used the motivation that they were not allowed to train on the ground. Mm. So you, and I, I could see that, that they were just that little hint of anger of we're going to show you. And that just came through the way they played in that first quarter and just broke them apart. Yeah, we thank the Premier for that, the Port Adelaide player, uh, Port Adelaide uh, supporter. Um, I know what the health people say, but uh, common sense says that the Premier is the person that should be making the decisions. And uh, he, I mean, he managed to talk the, the crowd numbers up against uh, Spurrier's wishes. Uh, 
and uh, he was the one I think that uh, should have overridden and said that they could train because common sense said they should have. But well, uh, yeah, it back, that backfired on them. Spurrier must have been in the Port Adelaide change rooms before the game because they certainly kept a social distance. They did not get near it, and they didn't look do like not, they wanted to get near it. Do not touch that ball. They um, look. You'd have to be incredibly disappointed as a power supporter if the Crows uh, were in that position and they threw up that sort of an effort, which you could say they probably did in the second half of their last grand final. Um, but you know, this on their home deck. They've had a dream run. They haven't had to travel. Western Bulldogs have travelled the length and breadth of the country. Uh, poor, I mean, Western Bulldogs beat Brisbane with no preparation. They've now beaten Port with no preparation. They'll go to Optus Stadium and also have very little preparation uh, on that ground as well. Um, but if there's one coach in the competition... Than can who can uh, build an us versus them mentality? It's Luke Beveridge, and you could, you saw him after the game when he was crapping on about you know yep. commentators uh, underrating certain players. I think he was talking about Adam Trelaw. Luke Beveridge is fantastic at building a wall around his team, making it us against them. You know we're the downtrodden, we're the hard done by. We'll show them there's not a better coach in the competition. To get a team up for that with that sort of attitude, he's used that one for years. I think, and yep. uh, yeah, as you say, no coach uses it better than him because he he has such a vicious look on his face when he says it too. Yep, and they're all talking about it on the Sunday footy shows this morning uh, as if it was you know um, you know a bit out of place. Luke Beveridge doesn't give a shit. All he's doing is talking to his team. And he's talking to Adam Trelaw in that moment to give him a, a G up and go, yeah, you played well, well done for bouncing back. You know, he will get that team up and it'll be that, that mentality. And I'll tell you, the thing that really works for the Western Bulldogs is the fact that they have this week's break uh, to get a couple of players back, to get a little bit of freshness back. And uh, I reckon two weeks for a team that is the hunted, which I would think is Melbourne, starting as favourites. Two weeks to sit on the fact that they are the favourites for a grand final, for a premiership for the first time in 496 years for their club. That's a lot of time, and it's going to be, uh, you know, without getting ahead of uh, the game here off format, uh, hard work for the Melbourne support staff, coaching staff, to... uh, to stop their players from spending their tickets before a ball's bounced. Yeah, look, I, I think that uh, the Bulldogs, by winning it as they have uh, against all the odds, would be going, uh, they'll have to now fly to Perth and they'll have to go to quarantine again and mm-hmm. go through various things. But those type of things seem to act as a spur to this particular team. And as you say, Luke Beveridge is the... Well, he is the ultimate coach at making that uh, disadvantages become an advantage to uh, drive his team on. Um, on the other hand, though, of course, the Melbourne's had a very, very had the perfect run. It, the question, only question with Melbourne is have they played enough games in the, in the time, that's all. Yes. All right, let's have a look at some stats, shall we? Uh, all right, disposals uh, pretty even, 369, 367. 
Um, Bullies handball club was on show, 160 handballs, 132. Inside 50, surprisingly uh, uh, lopsided in the Bulldogs' favour, 60 to 48. Um, There's efficiency inside 50. Again, 31 shots from 60 inside 50s for the Bulldogs, 21 shots from 48 uh, for the power. They missed a few they shouldn't have. Uh, Hitouts heavily in Port's favour, 49 to 24. Uh, and yet clearances 35 to 41 in Western Bulldogs' favour. Centre clearances about the same, but around stoppage they got a, a ahead of themselves. But again, contested possession, Macca. Uh, 30, a plus 30 result for the Western Bulldogs, almost identical to the uh, to the previous game. Yep. Um, Port had a lot more of the ball on the outside, but they just couldn't do anything with it. Uh, but the Bulldogs' pressure was pretty good, and they held up across half-back very well, Western Bulldogs. Uh, tackles, uh, Port far more tackles, 72 to 58. Um, but uh, where's the marking? I went past it. Um, Port 85 to 78 marks, but inside 59 to 14. Uh, start to ask some questions of uh, uh, Charlie, although he didn't do too badly. Mitch Georgiatis was well held, I thought. Todd Marshall had a little spurt. Um, Georgiatis didn't play. I thought he did. No, George Addis didn't come up. Oh, who was the other? T- oh, no, no, no. Sorry, they had um, what's his name? Come go forward a bit. What's the ruckman's name? Laddams. Uh, uh, Laddams. That's right. Yeah, sorry, my mistake. Um, intercepts eighty nine to seventy five in Bulldogs' favour, and that's been uh, the opposite way for Port Adelaide for the last two months with Alir Alir um, being the intercept king. But as I mentioned. They always made sure they had a spare player going up against Alir Alir. So uh, there was uh, one, uh, Alir's direct opponent was always going up with him, but they always had another one going up. Um, and Port did nothing to protect Alir uh, in those contests. They just let him go up and he just kept getting hammered by blokes coming in from the side. And, it, and it, as a consequence, he was pretty ineffective. The way that they were playing him, though, you actually have to have two very good tall forwards in order for it to work the way it was because they were making sure that they were in front um, because a lot of the time where we've seen him, he manages to get in front and he can then dictate it. But because of the way that they were being able to do that and their size, he couldn't get around them, etc. So you have to have two very good tall forwards um, in, in order for that to work. And also the way they were grappling, I, I did think a couple of times he possibly could have got freeze because there were a, a bit of holding, etc. going on. But you're right, it was executed beautifully to that game plan and they always then had somebody down on the ground well, ready to get that ball. Yeah, just one adjustment to what you said, Nikki, in the sense that um, they made sure that their forward stayed in pairs uh, near him and one standing in front of him and the other one standing in front of the other one, uh, uh, the other uh, player. So it was a situation that was almost blocking him like that. Uh, it wasn't so much holding him; it was more like uh, almost like blocking him. And there were some situations where some umpires might have played a free uh, to a Leah, but um, 
it was, it was done very, very well. It's obviously a pre-game plan as well because, and as you said, they, uh, they expected the ball most of the time to come to ground and there were little guys just running past for it. Um, so, again, good planning by Luke Beveridge. Again, adjusting his game plan for the situation. Uh, whereas dear old Kenny, we just trot him out and do the same old yeah. thing. Yeah, Inquisitor makes a really good point on the chat. One team went in with a plan, the other team expected to play the same way. That's exactly how it panned out. Port Adelaide expected to be able to implement the same game plan they've been trotting out all season um, and expect it to work again. They had no plan to uh, to get Elia free, uh, so they allowed uh, the Bulldogs to make him accountable and to make him, uh, you know, le- uh, lessen his impact. Um, but again, you're talking about uh, a midfield. Whilst Port are quite uh, young in some respects, um, they played a lot of the game with Trav Boak and Robbie Gray running through the midfield. And again, uh, like Trav Boak's had a really good season. Robbie Gray's coming back from uh, injury. Uh, why did they start Robbie Gray in the midfield? Did not understand that one little bit. I mean, Robbie Gray's on his last legs. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's been a champion player and he's a very clever player, but um, his days in the midfield, they're gone because he hasn't got enough legs for it. And That's right. uh, when, he start, when he started in the midfield, I thought to myself, what the? It just and, seemed um, like an unnecessary... It, it was almost like Ken didn't have faith in the midfielders that had got him to the preliminary final in the first place. Uh, and... Uh, that would have been uh, a bit shattering for those lads who've been running through there that all of a sudden were, were starting on the bench. Yeah, and, uh, you know, well, Kenny, I just, as I say, I don't think he's the smartest of guys and uh, when it comes to coaching. And uh, he played the same game plan he normally plays with just one or two little tweaks, like, as we say, with, with Robbie Gray, the... Well, probably one getting close to being one of the oldest players with the tiredest legs and having had a lot of injuries in the middle, uh, right from the word go, which didn't make any sense to me at all. No, it was very odd. Uh, it was it was odd, um, and it's a a uh, Ken Hinkley special. Let's have a look at some individuals. Ollie Wines, I thought, played really well. Thirty-eight touches, fifteen kicks, twenty-three handballs, sixteen contested possessions. Um, was probably a standout for Port Adelaide. Jackson McRae, 36 touches with uh, 14 and 23 contested um, contested possessions. Riley Bonner, Travis Boak tried hard. Uh, Bailey Dale, um, uh, Smith Trelaw, Daniel, like they're all in amongst it with not very very even numbers. Bailey, um, Bailey Smith to kick four goals from midfield was probably their standout midfielder um, up, like in terms of uh, getting results although I did think that um, Liberatore was very important for them even though he got the 19 touches yeah now he started the, but he did start it all didn't he thing mm-hmm. I mean he, he I thought got, so that that five minute burst um, when he before Drew came onto the ground um, brilliant coaching by Kenny uh, he just kept he just kept setting him up out the midfield and the ball was just going forward and going through for goals. And I think I think there was four, was it four goal on the board before he came on, Drew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, again, well, you know you say it so many times, but Kenny can't coach. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, dear. Look, there's a lot of players were down. Carl Amon only had the 21 touches, was pretty much ineffective. Uh, Connor Rosie uh, looked a bit overawed, in my opinion. Didn't want to get uh, his hands dirty too much, only the 18 dis- disposals. But critically, uh, for Rosie, only seven kicks for the match, uh, and it's by foot that he can be damaging. Um, Zach Butters. Just want to make a comment about Rosie. Um, mm. I thought he was going to be uh, a star. And he, he really has got all the attributes to be a star. But this year, I really have been disappointed in the way he's played overall. He plays for free kicks. He does dives and um, he tries to do fancy tricks all the time. And uh, in other words, he's not doing the hard stuff that he used to do when he first started playing. And, uh, yeah, I, I, had, I, th- I had him right on a pedestal. And uh, if he wants to get to where he can be or where he should be, he's going to have to really change his game. And, uh, and I thought it really showed up in this grand final thing. I mean, he, he, as somebody said, like he pulled out, he piked. He, there's so many things he did wrong in this particular game. And um, yeah, it's a, a player that could be a champion, in my opinion, but he, he looked very ordinary. He, he really didn't like the fact that they closed down the space on him. And normally he can do his little sidestep, but he's coming up against the Bulldogs players. And I did say last week that the one weakness for the Bulldogs is their defence. But the way that they were playing and forcing that that ball out wide, and they've got some good players that know how to do the sidesteps themselves. So you try to do it against them. They know how to counter it. It's so he just couldn't get the space that he normally can. Yeah, Bobby Brady makes a really good point in the chat. I don't reckon the young kids have come back from injury terribly well. Um, uh, Butters in particular, I don't think has come back terribly well from injury. He might probably still be carrying uh, something. Connor Rosie, uh, way too early to write him off because he's got a ton of ability. Um, Not writing him off. But but the kid believes his own bullshit and I think he's had his tyres pumped up pretty hard. Uh, by those around him at Port Adelaide, and it needs uh, a senior person at Port Adelaide to bring him back down to earth and remind him that it's hard hard work uh, gets you a flag, not not the razzle dazzle, not the bloody you know the nice goals and the and the nice marks and all the rest. It's hard work that gets yep. you a flag, and it, no better lesson for a young group uh, like Rosie Dersma Butters, those kids than to watch the way the Bulldogs went about it because that was all about hard work. All about hard work. Uh, they just yeah, ran and, and ran and ran and ran and ran. Well, yeah, and, and that's the interesting thing. is, uh, if, you, if you went through the Bulldogs players um, and I asked you to name three bad players and I think you, you couldn't do it. Mm. No, even... That, even yeah. uh, you know, even uh, the, uh, the like a bloke like Zane Cordy still played his role. Uh, Stephen Martin, uh, I think he's still undefeated in games played for <laughs> for Western yeah. Bulldogs. Um, you know, Shaki played a very good role up forward, um, a very team oriented role up forward, uh, and chipped in. Could have had three goals, four goals, uh, Shaki, but kicked one three, but was all part of, very instrumental in the way their forward setup worked. Um, you know, Johansson uh, 
was good, made sure that uh, they didn't lose too much uh, with the loss of Cody Waitman. Uh, and I felt, you know, even though only 13 touches, he hit the scoreboard, which is what he needed to do. Uh, so they didn't lose anything or too much from Cody Waitman being out. Uh, English, another one that played a very team-oriented role up forward and, and uh, was instrumental in the way they structured up there and gave uh, Norton a bit of uh, licence to, to run and jump at the ball. So uh, a very good team game, a very good team game. And uh, as we've been saying for the last hour or so, Port have got some soul-searching to do. They need to understand what went wrong. And uh, in my opinion, what went wrong was uh, partly in the coach's box and partly in the heads of a lot of them. Yep. One thing you said at the beginning of the, uh, the cast that you were the only one to pick Port, and you were. Um, and I'm kicking myself because of the fact that I forgot about Motlop playing for, for Port Adelaide. <laughs> and, Did he and play? I'm telling serious. Every, every team that's got Motlop, you take it when Geelong days, they failed with Motlop in them. Uh, and since he's come to Port, they failed with Motlop in him. He is the most useless big game player I have ever seen. You can guarantee he will let you down. He well, is. But... He's the... He's the equivalent of Gary Rowan. Well, how's this for yeah, a he'll, trifecta? He'll do, I was going Sorry, to say, he, he, he plays a big game during the season. How's this for a trifecta? Power Pepper, Fantasia and Motlop, each with six touches. Uh, the three of them kicked a collective one point for the game uh, and the three of them had collectively six contested possessions for the game. Um, that's what I mean about uh, fringe players not standing up. You're absolutely right with Motlop, uh, Maka, but for all the fanfare about Fantasia, you know, and he might have been carrying an injury, who knows, uh, but Power Pepper is another one for all the fanfare about Power Pepper. Power Pepper should be on the trade table for mine. Um, I, I think I know he's a bit of a heart and soul player, um, but he's the type of player they need to move on. He's no value to them whatsoever. Well, okay, Corn thinks he, he might be the next uh, Dustin Martin. He's a Kane Corns is an idiot. Well, he keeps proving it all the time. Um, no, yeah. look, I, I think I think that uh, you're quite right. I don't think uh, he adds very much to their time, their team. Um, they got no in a interesting situation too. They, I mean, the window was uh, wide open for them technically this year. It may still be open for them next year, but it wouldn't be after that because they've got quite a few players that are very, you know, 30 pluses, and they don't get better. They just slow down a bit. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you'd think that uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Charlie, another uh, heart and soul player. Um, And I think in the right structure, Dixon can actually uh, be valuable because he, he always makes a contest. Uh, he's not going to be a high-scoring forward, but he always makes a contest. Um, but, uh, you know, whether they start playing Charlie further up the ground and, and playing George Artis and Marshall more as their focal points, I think eventually George Artis is going to be their focal point. Um, really like him. I, he's, he, he's classy. Very much so. Uh, very much so. I, I'm in agreement with you there, Mac. So you know, and, I'd... but just on that, just on that with Dixon and with Georgiades, what they need to do is 
like what the Bulldogs have done and also like what Melbourne have is that you need those really good smaller and mid-sized forwards at their feet yeah. to bring them into the game. Yeah, That was supposed to be Fantasia. That's right. He was but he's always, he's, he's always been hot and cold, though. Well, they, they brought him over on big bucks despite his few injuries and all the rest of it. Um, so you reap what you sow. Uh, sometimes you win those, sometimes you lose them, and I don't think that they're... Uh, I think it's probably line ball at the moment, but he certainly hasn't uh, performed when when it was needed. Anyway, look, so uh, Porter out, Geelong are out, and uh, I guess now the question for Crows fans is, because none of us really like Luke Beveridge, let's be honest. No, a bit, bit, like bit, bit of a tool. Um, and none of us uh, are, are fond of Jake Lever. Um, so I guess allegiances could be split. I'm probably sitting on the Melbourne side of the fence because uh, I don't really care about Jake, um, but I wouldn't mind seeing Goody get a flag. Uh, would be the first ex-Crows player turned coach to win an AFL Premiership, which wouldn't see, be. See, I haven't. Wouldn't be. I have an bad, issue with that. I know you do because you don't like Simon Goodman. Um, uh, no, I, I. It's it's not a personal thing. It's the fact that I don't think he should actually be coaching um, ethically uh, because of what happened. I don't think anybody from that era at. Um, Essendon should be um, allowed anywhere near any players ever again. Um, I don't think Goodman had anything to do with that, though. Uh, Uh, Yeah, he did. You keep saying that, Nicky. You keep saying that. What did he do? You want to be... Hang on, before we go any... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you go any further, I'm going to give you a minute, Nicky, but if you can't say something definitive, then please don't say it. Because I don't have public liability insurance for this show. You cannot make definitive statements like, yes, he did, if you don't have facts to back it up. This is a show that goes on live everywhere and is available on the internet. I'm not going to get sued for a comment that that isn't based in fact. So where I am coming from in this respect is from a coaching point of view and what I know as what I was trained in terms of the coaching system here in Australia and the regulations, et cetera, that we follow and everything else that we're supposed to do. He was part of that coaching group. Um, I don't have those things in front of me right at the time, but remember this is when the Crowcast started, was when all that was going on. I was reading every single thing that came out of that, including the um, the the stuff, the investigation from WADA and all the other things. He was involved uh, as there was a. No, there was no suggestion that he was involved. He was never. Uh, he was never fined. He, he, he was, was never t- charged. Because they don't go after coaches. They they can't actually Hang get on. coaches. They That's knocked the off two that- coaches. They knocked off. Um, that was James the, the AFL and, and yeah. Bomber Thompson. The AFL did that, but under the water code, you can't. It's always on the athlete because you, and and you're right because you can't prove that the coach was. But for me, mm. it's it's eth- as I said, it's an ethical right. issue that I have in terms of coaching, 
and that I don't think people who are part of that program, who allowed that program to go on, who partook in that program, because he has admitted that he was also injected with those drugs, that actually did come out. So he Not also partook drugs. in he, the program. He, he was injected. My understanding was that he took the same thing that Jimmy Heard took. Um. Not the stuff that oh. they were not the stuff that they were giving the players. Anyway, that's a minute. Yeah, that's all. So that that's, that's where all. I'm coming from. That's ethically. all. That's all. That's all. Well, I, I totally disagree with Nicky. I I really like Goodwin as a coach, and uh, whatever's happened in his life, well, that's that's his business. And uh, um, I mean, he had, everyone knows that he that he had a gambling addiction, and uh, and he's overcome that apparently, and he's. Uh, he had the handicap of having somebody sit alongside of him, holding him back all the time, in my opinion. Uh, and now he's, he's being his own man. His team has gone fantastically. Uh, he's an ex-Crows man. He's an ex-star. He's an ex-champion of, of our club. And um, I sort of fancy Melbourne for that reason, Fiend. Um On the other hand, much as I really, really hate their coach, <laughs> uh, I have to respect that he is a very, very good coach. And, I do admire the way the Bulldogs will always fight through even under the uh, worst circumstances. So I am a little bit split, but if I have to go for somebody, I'll go for Melbourne just. And and, and look, I just I do like the way they play too. They play a very good brand of football. So uh, I'll go for Melbourne. Not something that they will win, but that's who I'd like to win. Yeah, I think if both teams come uh, to the ground and play their best footy, it's going to be line ball and it's going to be a very, very entertaining game of football because they're both hard at the contest, they they both can score, they both have some um, excellent um, uh, scoring uh, focal points when they get going. Pardon me. Um, the only other thing that probably sways me towards Melbourne and someone in the chat there just reminded me of it is wouldn't it be nice for Neil Danaher to see them win a flag um, while you know while he's still with us? I think that would be yeah, awesome. I agree. I, agree. I actually would, was going to make that point later. But, yeah, uh, look, yeah, I really do hope they win. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, well, uh, Nikki, you're on the Bulldogs train then? Um, I was always on the Bulldogs train because I do like the way they've played this year. And also I'm putting on my little former South Adelaide hat. Of I would really like to see Caleb Daniels uh, get a premiership. I didn't get to see him do one for South Adelaide. I was watching those finals and unfortunately he, he just missed out. But that was the, the year he was drafted um, and he played excellently. So that's why I would like to see the Bulldogs, but Bulldogs win. But I. I agree with you guys. I think this actually should be an absolutely cracking grand final. And the one thing I do love about it as well is the fact that uh, I've read many times, and I'm sure you have in various places in social media, that how unfair it is for two Melbourne clubs not being able to play their grand final in Melbourne. <laughs> what do you think us guys have had to do all these bloody years, you idiots? Um, so no sympathy for the Melbourne Knights whose football team will be playing in Perth and not in Melbourne. But, uh, in fact, I'm quite glad they are. Yeah, it, it just shows that at the end they still think it's a Melbourne birthright, uh, Victorian yeah. birthright. But anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. All right, um, 
couple of quick things before we wind it up. Have we got anyone? Oh, we've got someone here that wants to have a chat. Uh, the Arab child will get you in, mate. Hopefully you've got your audio working this week. Come in, mate, when you're ready. Hi, guys. Can you hear me this hey, week? Hey, how are you going? Yeah, what, I don't know what was going on last week. I don't know. No, something happened. Um, yeah, just, you know, going back to the port thing and stuff. Their players are very arrogant, and that, like, if somehow, that, like, the only thing that I don't want with Jason Horn, because he seems like he plays like Connor Rosie, and that is very worrying. Like, I saw him in the under-18 games, I think it was, when they played against Western Australia. And I was like, yeah, that he doesn't seem like he's going to fit well in our culture, Adelaide's culture, football games and stuff. But I don't know, I was just wondering where you guys thought of his like personality and attitude other than him being a good player what do you think mac i don't know i'll let you go first mate <laughs> so you don't know <laughs> um um uh, uh may, maybe maybe <laughs> I, I don't spot, didn't i <laughs> well no 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 only because i don't know the lad personally um he's well i don't either yeah, that's he's, my problem. I don't he's a very good player um, he plays with confidence. He's yeah. been playing against men for you know half a season now. Um, I can't make yeah. a comment on him personally, so I I just don't think. Yeah, I don't think I can I can make an objective call on that. I mean, it takes look. No, it, take, it takes all it takes all kinds of personalities in a football club. You cannot control. Um, the personalities you have around the place. I remember, remember when the Crows were successful back in the late 90s. Um, you know, Mods was out every night of the bloody week getting laid and uh, was king of Adelaide. Um, and yet, you know, um, he was still able to perform when it mattered. Malcolm Blight was very good at being able to handle different personalities and get the best out of everyone. Um, you know, well documented how he used to G up Sean Wren, for example. So... Yeah. I I hear what you're saying, um, but you'd like to think that the playing group would be strong enough and the culture would be strong enough that yeah. it would be yeah. more Jason being brought into line uh, if if he was a little bit ahead of himself. Not that I think it will happen because I don't think Jason Horn's coming our way. Well, he could. <laughs> Maybe. He could. <laughs> he could, but I, yeah. it's unlikely at this stage. I don't know why we're not bid for him. I mean, if everyone's like well, we can't bid. We can't bid for him. He'll be gone before our bid comes up. No, I mean like um. You mean, you mean trade for him? Tra yeah, trade. trade for him. Or yeah, Cause just give up what the hell we need to. Because it matter if we give up two or three first round draft picks for him. Well, we don't have Melbourne two or three, mate. Both. We've only we've only got one first round draft pick, and I'm pretty sure that North Melbourne would still say, "Well, you know what? We like him too, so we're just going to take him at number one." No, I mean next year's and this year's as well. So like both, and then give them up because they're going to think we're not going to end up anywhere. Else. And then they could have two top ten picks, potentially Look, two top five picks. I don't mind where you're coming from. Because if they really, really, really think that Jason Horn is the one that they want to get, then you make him an offer that's too good to refuse. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> one other thing which would complicate that situation is the Dawson situation, that if 
we are the preferred club by Dawson, then we were, we may have to be trading picks anyhow, um, because we certainly don't don't think we have the players to offer. Yeah, uh, thanks, Aaron Carl. Nice thanks, mate. I'm glad you were able to uh, come on back you. eventually. Yeah. Have a good one, mate. Anyone else wants to have a chat? Now would be the time. Just on uh, Jordan Dawson, uh, Macker and Nicky. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, Jordan's uh, indicated that he doesn't want to continue in Sydney, that he wants to come back to South Australia. Um, and uh, he hasn't picked a club. Uh, he's left it up to Sydney at this stage. He hasn't named a club. Um so there's various whispers around about various things. I've heard that it's a bit 50-50 at the moment, whether it's Port Adelaide or the Crows. Um, uh, Pete and I had a little bit of a debate on Thursday night about what you'd give up. Matt, what's your feel? Well, my, you know, I was thinking about it. If I were, if I were Sydney, I would actually be demanding... Um, they don't get to demand, he's out of contract. Well, sorry, that's true. Um, with the Crows, I'd be saying, well, I'll trade our pick 12 for your pick four, and we'll pay, I'll trade pick 31 for your pick 33. Uh, so I would say... First, first and second round pick swap. Yes, and I would say, well, look, we might do that, but, but throw in Stevens as well, and we might throw in a, a later pick as well. Nick? I mean, it, it's com it's completely up to Dawson's decision, and there's there's too many rumors going around, as there always are when something like this happens. So even though a player has said often, "I don't have a preference," etc., there there often is a a, a pref underlying preference already there anyhow, and. And like a, some people are kind of saying in the chat of, you know, but he was a Crow supporter. But that's, yeah, that's lovely and nice, but so was Fantasia. You know, if you get the better offer for your career, that's where you're going to go. Yeah, but I you think know, the issue with Fantasia was that by the time he was ready to come home, we'd lost interest and he actually yeah. didn't get a competitive offer from the Crows in the end. I don't think he yeah. chose Port. I don't think he chose that's Port because they gave a better offer. I think they he chose Port because there wasn't an offer coming from the Crows. Yeah. So for his career, that's the one that was, you know, that he went that he that he went for in a way. We didn't um, have a choice. <laughs> no. Yeah. He didn't have a freaking choice, Nicky. He only had one offer. Yeah, because, because we low. Yeah, because we lowballed him. No, we um, didn't ball him at all. There was no ball. Oh yeah. Completely, it was flat. He, he, he was, he was, <laughs> it, it was, was a, up at all. it was a female offer, no ball whatsoever. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting because there's also those rumours about Dylan Stevens. So oh, let, let's do. I, I think Dawson you kind first. of can't. To to me, well, that, but that's the thing is any. Anything you're going to discuss about that particular player, the fact that if you're going to be active and there's going to be other players involved or that you're interested in, you also need to know where those are at to see. So you don't give too much, maybe, 
at the start. Well, the fact, you know, if we could get two players out of Sydney, then yes, then you're you're definitely going to have to bring in all of those those the first round picks and and everything else um with what you're dealing with there. So to me that's that's why I can't do or say anything too much on this yet because I think there's still a way to go and just to see how the lie of the land is going. Yeah. Look, uh, I I would be very disappointed if we didn't get Dawson to come to Adelaide. We've got a salary cap advantage. We've got there's at least two and a half million sitting yeah. there. And we should be out of money wise uh, outbid uh, for Dawson. And if Dawson is a thinking person, he looks at uh, Port Adelaide side, he would find that uh, if I was thinking about it, I would say, well, they've just about run their race. And uh, maybe in a year or two, they, the big slide's on. The other team has done that, but they've already got about a, a two-year start. Um, and we should be playing finals there within two years. And then after that, we could be playing uh, seriously in three years. So um, I think we've got a lot to sell. We've got money. Um He's going to, certainly going to uh, be one of our key players and he could be probably in our leadership group immediately as well. Um, so I think we've got a lot to offer. Um, having said that, Port Adelaide somehow seemed to do us and I think that's because of the calibre of our people that we have in charge of our list. I, I've been critical of them many, many times and, and they worry me because they tend to get done most of the time. But I think logically... If we play our cards correctly, um, we should be the winner. Yeah, PJ Crow's saying in the chat, you know, if people think uh, a low first round is going to get it done, uh, they're dreaming. Well, PJ, Sydney have got no choice. If Dawson accepts an offer from Adelaide, uh, Sydney have to trade for him because if they don't trade for him, then he will go in the PSD and we're the first South Australian yeah. club in that draft. So yeah. we are holding a lot of cards in this and we, I'm sure we will act um, decently. But this isn't... this. I don't, think the, I don't think the issue is being able to give Sydney what they want. The issue is being able to give Jordan what he wants. And yeah. um, as you rightly point out, Macca, we've got more than enough money the sticking point will be if some flogs in the playing group arc up about us potentially overpaying a young lad to get him back from, from Sydney. And personally, I don't have a problem in hell um, uh, paying Jordan overs to get him back. We've discussed this already. We need to do what we need to do um, to, uh, to get these kids in. He'll be a valuable addition to the team. Um, you know, and to be honest with you, if we if we did a forgetting the steak knives, Mac, if we did a four for twelve and Dawson, um, mm -hmm. would still put us in the frame for maybe a Matty Roberts or an Arlo Draper at twelve, I would imagine. Exactly, exactly. That was um, my thoughts. Yeah. And if you could, if you said at the beginning of the tra a draft period that you could end up with Draper and Dawson. Uh, in terms of quality in the first round of the uh, the draft, you would absolutely take it in a heartbeat, yeah. not, notwithstanding Jason Horn. So I really think that um, uh, the Crows cut their losses on Jason Horn um, 
and this is the next best, best strategy. And look, you know, the Port have only been into Jordan for the last few weeks or so. The Adelaide Crows have been into Jordan all season. So they had faith in him all season. And this has been a bit of a breakout year for him this year. But we preempted that. We've been at him to come home for a long time. So I would be bitterly disappointed, Macca, bitterly disappointed if we couldn't get the thing done. And I'm very confident, unlike some other pessimistic bastards, Pete and Vardy Magic, <laughs> yep. uh, I'm very confident that we'll get it done. And interestingly I... enough, the, sorry, Nikki, but uh, there's a couple in the chat who think that uh, pick 23 would get him. Well, um, look, 23 won't get him. 23 is no hope of getting him. I, I watch every game every year. Every, sorry, start again. I watch every game every week. And uh, Dawson this year has just risen, risen, and risen. And he is an outstanding player. And he is, he's on the threshold of greatness, in my opinion. And I think that the door, if we got Dawson, yes, we're getting a very good player, but he's going to go to another level again. And uh, he would add three, four, five goals to our team, no doubt about it. So, And I'm with Fiend, overpaying, and the other players don't like it. Stiff shit. Just yeah. go for it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. Can I? I was actually quite impressed last year with how we handled um, out of contract players, and that we were not frightened for once to jump. Um, that we actually held firm on what our offer was, and we knew that we had that in the bank about the preseason draft. You, you're absolutely spot on there, Fane. Um, about that. So we do very much hold the power in this situation, but you're right. We've got to make that offer attractive to Jordan. And we, from what we understand, we've definitely got that money to do so. And they have kept saying that over and over again. So that we have to attract that bigger money. We have to do that in order to get them back into here and I think that there's we've moved on a number of players who might have arced up. So fingers crossed. Yeah, well, I think that's going to go our way. Players have moved on. They're, they're big salary players too. When you yeah. when you work out yeah. the the dollars between it, that's big dollars. And on yeah. top of that, we're not playing Gibbs and we're not playing uh, Eddie and we're not playing paying Jenkins. All of a sudden. Uh, we've got a, a clean salary cap and we've got plenty of space and it. it's reported to be two and a half million. And uh, we'll use some of it this year to try and get Dawson and next year we'll try and get Lacocious Rankin, one of the two. And we're not going to debate with saying which one. So, um, yeah, I, I think we just do what we got to do. Yep, 100%, Mac. I agree. Um, and I maintain that a first-round pick swap uh, with a little bit of pick shuffling down the down the road, we'll get it done. I don't think uh, I don't think Dylan Stevens will end up with us. Um, and to be honest with you, as much as Dylan was a high draft pick, um, he's not at the same level, and uh, we'd be paying for potential. So I'd be happy to pick up Dylan if he wanted to come back, but uh, it'd be the equivalent of a of a late second. Rounder for me, for Dylan Stevens. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's all he's worth, mate. Um, I know As it he stands went at the five. moment. He went to pick five, but on his performances, uh, he's been in and out of the side and uh, probably not given a lot of cont- continuity, but then he hasn't justified the continuity. Yeah. That's well, the whole point. Isaac Rankin went, uh, you know, top end of the draft, and uh, you wouldn't pay a first rounder for Isaac Rankin at the moment. No, so I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay a first rounder for it. No, that's what I mean. And so their their pick, their draft year pick, is irrelevant once they once there's been some runs on the board, and we've seen Dylan have trouble for whatever reason getting into the Swans midfield. I think he's a good player, and Swans midfield is not easy to get into. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, He'd, he'd he'd be secondary. Um, getting Jordan Dawson is primary, and I think we're in the box seat. And so hopefully we don't botch it up. And we've got a few uh, weeks to wait on that. But it would be really nice if Jordan would come out next week and say, "Oh, look, you know, uh, now that Porter out of the race, I'm happy to say that I nominate the Crows." Um, I and I'll leave it up, leave it up to Sydney to make it make it happen. Yeah, when you uh, just when you look at what a player is worth. Uh, you're quite right, Sven. You don't look at what where he went in the draft situation. That players are like used cars. You know, you, you, like when you pay top of the range for a, a new car, and yeah. you know after it's been running around for a while, it might be only worth half the value. And and players yeah. exactly the same. So yeah. uh, in, in uh, Dawson's case, so it's like buying a a really old car because he went at about fifty something, I think, thing. And you know, you store it away, and it becomes a a bit a of a classic, <laughs> yeah, and then you, yeah. and you and you and again money, but you know, with the top, you know, first round players, that just means very little once I've played a few games. Yeah. Now, Nikki, the cock wombling yes. out of the week award, which I'm sorry I didn't have time <laughs> to prepare, uh, but I'd like to make a nomination for uh, sure John Ralph. Oh God, so, what's he done now? So yeah, I think that, it was Ralphie. I think it was Ralphie. That could be. That could be permanent, though, with him. Well, that, yeah, it could be the cock-wombling Ralphie. And cancorns. Um, but hang on. So I think it was, um, what's his name, Finey from SEN on his late-night show has, has gone with Ben Keyes looking for a um, a move yeah, back to Victoria, me. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the giveaway to John... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hold your fire. And and the giveaway for Finey should have been, or for Ralphie should have been that Finey said, "Oh yeah, his nickname's Bull." Clearly, Finey had gotten Ben Keys and Jake Kelly <laughs> confused. But Johnny Ralph, the unemployed uh, ex uh, sport quote unquote journalist, oh, it was Rowan Connolly for God's sakes, wasn't? It was Rowan Connolly. Rowan Connolly. They're both the bloody same. I always get those two confused. Anyway, Rowan Connolly has gone on Twitter. Shut up, Macca, for God's sake. Rowan Connolly has got on Twitter and run with Finey's story that Ben Keyes, it was huge breaking news, Ben Keyes was seeking a move back home to Victoria and ran with it for nearly 24 hours before uh, being kindly tapped on the shoulder and reminded that... uh, uh, Jake Kelly is actually bull and he's actually going to Essendon and Ben Keyes is actually from Queensland and is not going anywhere and had to retract. So, uh, Rowan Connolly, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. I actually do like Rowan, but that's a bit no, stupid. God, he's, 
They're all they're all the same. John Ralph, Ron Connolly, they're all the bloody same. How can you get that wrong, Mac? Um, by trying to be first all the time. That's what they do. They try to be first, so they don't worry about the facts. And of course, once you check facts, I mean, uh, uh, so many times. What's that little fellow that uh, South Australian bloke that keeps on doing it? He just they oh. they always. Pop. I can't remember his name, but he's a little South, little South Sam Australian Edmund. Well, he, well, he's a classic. I mean... He hasn't he, got one right. Little, yeah, you can nearly go and say, well, if he said something that's going to be exactly the opposite. So, um, no, look, the, the media is pretty ordinary at the moment. They just try to be first rather than right. And uh, that was another classic example of it. And he's in, in his hurry, he didn't even check that it was the right surname. No. So. And as J-Max says on the chat, I forgot to mention too, it was Benny Keyes' brother that actually got on Twitter and said, uh, yeah, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. And, uh, and, the other question, and the other question that keeps uh, people out there keep asking is how many draft picks do we have? We've, we've currently got... Uh, we started the season with 36, 6 and 2. 36 on the main list, 6 on the rookie list, and 2 on the Category B rookie. You can go, and you can fluctuate between 36.6 and 38.4 for between seniors, uh, senior list and the rookie list. Um, so at the moment, we do have four picks that we can use, but if we did, we'd be going, doing a 37.5 ratio with the 37 seniors, five on the rookie. Um, if we delist uh, Davis, then uh, we would be able to do a 30, well, we could go 38 forward. You're determined to have not... this conversation, aren't you, Macca? You're determined to right. have this conversation. Every week I say wait until the draft and trade shows, and every week you keep trying to run through this. <laughs> no, well, people, well, people don't understand how, how it works. Would, I've been watching chat for the last 10 minutes. No one's asked. <laughs> No, I, I just thought, well, I just thought I'd add it because just to let you know that actually at the moment we've got four picks. That's what we said. We That's don't. Have, we don't have four picks. We have three picks. We've got four things. You can because you can go thirty six six, thirty seven five, thirty eight four. Yes, but you don't. You you don't. Um, you can't reconfigure from the rookie list before the national draft we don't have to at the we moment we've got three spots available on on our senior lift list that's what we've got available three spots that's correct but right we, so that's uh, what we will take to the draft but two off the rookie list means that we can go to 38 thing but the, you would have to pick them in the rookie draft not the national draft Look, I know I'm right, Fane. I am no, right. I know I I, you're right, but you can't. You can't now. Between now and the national draft, you can't drop players onto the rookie list. List, you can't do it. You can if you've got a rookie list of so many players, and you've got a main list of so many players. You can't think. You can go if we. Got There's a timing. It's not about numbers. It's about the rules, and it's about timing. And I'll, I'll no. bring it up. All right. No. Well, let's leave this the conversation because I no, read it the, the other day, and I'll bring it up. 
Well, I've read the rules too, and the rule is you can't transfer them to the rookie list. That's, that's right. That's that's where you're getting confused. We don't have to transfer them to the rookie list. If you've got less rookies, you can have more on the main list. It's as simple as that. It's just simple mathematics. But we only have the, the a certain number of rookies. Like, put it this way: we've got uh, Strawn and Butts both as third-year rookies, right? Now, one of them will have to get promoted to the senior list because otherwise we're going to be stuck next year when they change the rule back because it's only because they've extended it for another year this year that we're, we've got the opportunity to keep both those blokes on for four years. But one of them is going to have to come up because otherwise we're going to have to be moving them both up next year, which is going to be an absolute list squeeze. So you've got a situation where... Even if they want to reconfigure to 37.5 instead of 36.6, which we've currently got at the moment, we're still going to only end up taking three picks to the national draft, uh, three spots to the national draft. They don't have to. But they can, you can pay, still pay them as a senior player on the rookie list and you still get some salary relief. Yes, but you can't already... draft them straight onto the rookie list. No, they're, but they're already there, Feed. They're there. <laughs> Butts is already there. He's on the rookie list. Keys is on the rookie list. You misunderstand what I'm saying. Next year, they have to come off the rookie list because you can only keep players on the rookie list for a certain amount of time, right? And it's always been three years, but this year they've extended it, so it's an extra year. It's four years. They've let them go for four years. But if we keep Butts and Strawn on the rookie list for both of them for another year then it's going to absolutely squeeze us next year. So logic tells you that one of those two is going to have to come up to the senior list so that we don't have to transfer them both onto the senior list next season, right? But that's even, a different situation. That's what to, I, I just that, said that a minute ago. I just That's exactly what I just... I've just repeated myself. Yeah, I know you're repeating yourself, but what I'm saying is that if unless we would promote those players, if the players stay where exactly where they are now on each particular list, we have four draft picks. Uh, Factual. How many players have we got on the on the senior list at the moment? Uh, on the senior list. Yeah. We had thirty. We've got. We had thirty-six, and yeah. we removed three. We Who removed did we three. removed? Sorry. Who did we remove? Uh, well, we removed uh, uh, Talion. Yeah. And Lynch. Yeah. And Kelly. Well, Kelly will be, but we'll get a compensation pick back for him. Not that that changes anything. So that doesn't. But no. But that's not a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be three off, which leaves which leaves three picks. And what you're but, saying is, yeah. So go on. But uh, we can choose to go thirty-seven five. That's what you're saying, right? Instead of thirty-six six. Yeah, or we could even could go to thirty-eight four. Yeah. Uh, thirty-eight thirty-eight's the maximum on the senior list, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so, and the cap and the hang on, I'm just trying to work through this with you so that I understand. So, the cap Bs don't count in that equation, do they? No, no, I checked on that. They don't so count. So, Borlase and Newchurch don't count. 
No, they don't. They're and how many rookies have we got at the moment? Five. Uh, or is it four? So let, let me think. Um, we've got Davis, we've got Strawn, we've got um, Butts. McKay's gone off. Keys. Yeah, no, we'd have, we'd Keys, have to get so rid of one. Yeah, we'd have to get rid of one of O'Connor or Davis. So we've got five at the moment. Yeah, and that gives you a thirty-seven-five ratio. Yeah. So if they if they can if they choose to go thirty-seven-five, we've got four. Then picks. then we've got four picks. If they choose to do what they've done every other year and go and remain thirty-six-six, then we've got three picks. Correct. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying about blokes on the rookie list can still be paid whatever they want. They just get what is it? The first is it eighty or one hundred and twenty that they get rebated? Well, I've read two figures. Uh, it used to be 80, or, um, but I think it, somebody said it was quoting it as, as, as 100 because I've been doing a lot of research on this. And um, it used to be 80. I'm still working on the 80 figure because uh, the guy that quoted the 100, I'm not sure whether he knew what he was talking about or not. Uh, but um, that's the, the reason why they allowed player, uh, sorry, teams to transfer two players off the senior list under the rookie list to get that 80,000 uh, rebate. Yeah. Yeah, it's bloody stupid. Why don't they just make one list and and adjust the TPP accordingly? It's bloody well, stupid. Make, yeah. and, a, and, a rookie, and a rookie now gets 85,000. Yeah. But it, well, that's the base. So that's what was re, that's what's rebated because the 85,000 is what's not counted towards TPP. And, yeah, but you, but you can still play a rookie just as much as you like. Morris saying seven rookies currently. I count Davis. No, they're counting, they're counting the two category Bs in, but they don't. Oh come yeah, into okay. This. No, no, they don't come but, into this. Yeah, they definitely yeah, don't. Category Bs are outside. I know that, mate. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're, so at this stage, unless we promote players from the uh, rookie list onto the senior list, yeah. we've definitely got we've got four <laughs> never terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good look, it's good debate. And um uh yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Personally I, I can't see um why we would keep Davis. Um not that he didn't perform too badly when he got a couple of games at the end of the year, but he's been there five years and we've got other young players in defence uh that are coming up that I think we should be playing there. Um and Ah, no, Morris is right. Parnell and Murray. I knew it. I fucking knew it, Macca. Butts, yeah. Keys, Hinge, Murphy, Davis, Parnell, well, and Murray. Well, we only had six in the first place, mate. So, um, Butts, we were Keys, we were, Hinge. We were, we were Mur- I don't think Murphy's a rookie. Murphy's not a rookie. No, but Murray is. No, but, but no I think... Uh, Murray is. Uh, I'm, well, I'm not sure with, without looking at the page... <laughs> That, look, but I know no, no, no. Five. Enough. We've stop. We've, stop. Stop. We've stop. 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 I've got five. Macca, that's why Please. I said to you last week, don't talk about the fucking draft <laughs> until we're ready because this is like we've just wasted 10 minutes. I don't think so. Yeah, we did. No, that's because he wants to talk about it, so that's why we, he, we haven't wasted it. 
No, we're, I just don't think most people understand how it works. Yeah, but it's, we're not ready to talk about it yet, Macca. All right, I'll be quiet. Thanks. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <I can> hell. <laughs> right. Um, talk about formatting. Uh, people, please donate to aflcrowcast.com or what is it, patreon.com forward slash aflcrowcast just to, you know, as a as a donation for me having to put up with these two people that don't understand format. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we'll call it quits uh, there uh, so, <laughs> because... Yeah. Um, but look, look the, the fun thing is, is when this happens is I just go quiet and I just love reading the chat because you guys are just as funny as the debate that is going on quite seriously. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, next week I think we better have a week off uh, because the footy is having a week off, so we might have a week off too, I reckon. Sounds um, like a good plan. Peter and I will be back on Tuesday night for Tuesday Night Live. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about things in general. That should be a bit short and sharp, that one. Um, and then we will do Tuesday Night Live again on Grand Final Week. Uh, and then we will obviously have the wrap to wrap up the uh, Grand Final uh, in a fortnight's time. And then, Macca, after that you'll be pleased to know that we'll be heading into the trade and draft period of the season and you're learned uh, uh, knowledge will be well well uh, received at that point in the meantime thanks everyone for joining us on discord thanks everyone on youtube for joining us as well and uh, be safe and we'll see some of you on tuesday night and the rest of you in a fortnight till then see you later yeah. night 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 night. Night. see ya